As I was thinking about this sermon today and studying through the, the passage, I thought to myself, it is hard to really believe that Thursday is Thanksgiving. It seems like just last week we were celebrating Resurrection Day, meeting together for the resurrection and and part of the drama. Seems like just yesterday that we were gathering together, singing songs of the resurrection. But may I say this, for a child of the Lord Jesus, every day should be rich in thankfulness to God for salvation and the very fact that we get to serve King Jesus. Think about that. We get the privilege to serve Jesus. We get the privilege, not the obligation, but the privilege as as people of Christ to serve Him. I think of uh, Peter and, and John persecuted for the Lord Jesus and leapt for joy because they counted it a joy to be persecuted for the namesake of Christ and to be able to serve the Lord in some way in capacity and to be identified with the risen Lord is a privilege that we all who know Christ, we all get to enjoy. The words of the Apostle Paul comes to mind when he wrote at the church to the church at Colossae, chapter 3 and verse 16. This should be a familiar verse to us all. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing or rebuking where we need to be rebuked one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. I highlighted or underlined and bolded and italicized this word thankfulness. Friends, I I must say, we have already reflected upon this morning. We have so much to be thankful for. And if you were to inventory your life, if you were to look at your life, you would be able to see that there are far more good things in life than bad. There are far more things that we would consider to be good and fruitful and nurturing than those bad things in life. Let's just be honest. See, I'm thankful for men and women over the ages who stood for orthodoxy, who stood upon the word of God, who stood upon truth through the ages. I'm thankful for men and women whose shoulders we stand upon today, who they themselves stood upon the solid rock. I'm thankful for people who are on the mission field right now, who are giving their life to serve Jesus in dark and remote places who even if you utter the name of Jesus would strike you dead where you stand. I'm thankful for faithful men and women who risk their lives to take the name of Jesus to the nations. And there are so many blessings in life, and I just want to take a minute or two to do that, to thank the Lord first for my salvation. 
I'm thankful to be able to open God's Word before you each week and to be able to study God's Word as a spitting and sputtering and stuttering pastor, sometimes struggle with the words. I'm thankful that the Lord has given me this calling and I'm thankful for the people of Piney Grove to allow me to preach and to stand and proclaim this Word. I'm thankful for that each week. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for Tracy and I'm many, many others in here can stand right now and to say, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for ministry. I'm thankful to be able to serve the Lord, to Lord, the Lord Jesus. So many things, it would take all evening to give thanks for them all. But we're thankful for a sovereign God who has called us by His amazing grace. It is because of that I ask you to stand with me with Bible in hand and our eyes affixed to chapter 14 of the book of Acts, beginning at verse 8. If I had to put a title to this sermon, I would entitle it, Thankful for Faithful Witnesses. The Bible picks up the lives of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, now at Lystra. There was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and he had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looked intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. He said in a loud voice, stand up on your feet. He sprung up and began walking. And the crowd saw what Paul had done. They lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconia, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temples was all at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands at the gate and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out in the crowd, crying aloud, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news. You should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their ways, and yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. But even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. Thank God for faithful witnesses. Lord, we pray that you would add your blessing to this word. Father, we stand in just a moment of thankfulness to you. Let that deep thought of grace and mercy shower us today. When we have nothing left to say, nothing else to do, but to sit in deep contemplation of salvation and grace and mercy. We are thankful for faithful witnesses. We are thankful for people who stood in the gaps, Lord, through the centuries and through the ages. I pray God who is here today will hear your word and the one who doesn't know you, Father, will come to you as you call them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, the last time that we were in the book of Acts, the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, they were at Iconium and they were driven from Antioch to Iconium. And there was a reason that they were driven away from Antioch into Iconium. 
And the reason they were driven away was not because they were criminals. It's not because they were bad citizens disobeying the law. It's not like they were robbers and thieves and murderers or anything of of that sort. They were driven out from Iconium because they proclaimed Jesus Messiah proudly and boldly and without prejudice. And they tracked the history of Jesus Messiah through the lineage all the way to the resurrection. They preached Jesus Messiah boldly. They preached the gospel. There were some that were saved and there were some that were not. And here at Iconium, they once again preached Jesus boldly. And a great number of both Jew and Gentile trusted the Lord Jesus and they believed. But like with any culture today, any society today, when there is truth proclaimed and the gospel is proclaimed, there will be those who will oppose. There will be those who will bitterly oppose the gospel message. I remember watching a clip this past week of a guy who was standing on the corner preaching the gospel. And he was preaching. He wasn't this doom and gloom preacher. He wasn't this legalistic preacher. He was preaching the gospel. I sat there and listened to him for a while. He was preaching repentance. And as he was preaching repentance, this man had come up behind this street preacher got his attention, and slapped him across the face. That is a reflection of the culture that we live in today. Even though we aren't being slapped physically across our face, that is the demeanor of the worldview and the culture we live in today that is antagonistic to the gospel proclamation who bitterly oppose. So these unbelievers, they begin to try and poison the minds against God's messengers. And this time, instead of running or fleeing, Paul and Barnabas, they dug their heels in. They dug their heels in and they preached Jesus all the more. There is a time for us as a body of Christ to dig our heels in. It is a commentary for today's time that we live in. It is a reminder to dig our heels in to truth and to stay for a while, to stay as long as we need to stay. To dig our heels in the word of God, to dig our heels in into truth and proclaim it boldly. The apostles stayed for, the Bible says, a long time. And some would say even six months. The apostles stayed amongst them and at Iconium and the recalcitrant or the stubborn sought how they might stone the apostles. They They marked them as blasphemers. And so Paul and Barnabas moved on. They moved towards Lystra and Derbe and Lyconia, which is our context for today. This is where they find themselves. In today's reading and our portion of Scripture, we pick back up in Lystra and this crippled man that is sitting there in verse 8. A couple of different things I would like to bring out in the text this morning for you to consider and for our consideration The truth is simply this, that it is Jesus who makes the lame walk. Jesus makes the lame walk. So Paul and Barnabas, they are the faithful witnesses of the Lord Jesus. They are 
Christ's faithful witnesses here in this context. And here is a case where the transactions that occur are similar in the healing ministry of Jesus. Remember in Mark chapter 2, they tore the roof off, lowered the paralytic man, and Jesus said to him, take up your bed and walk. He sprung up and walked and took his bed home with him. Remember that episode? Remember that in the narrative of Mark chapter 2? And then in Acts chapter 3, a very similar episode happened there as well. The Bible tells us in this episode that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas were here at Lystra and there was a man that was sitting who could not use his feet because he was crippled from birth. He had never walked. He had never felt the grass under his feet. He had never, fer- never felt the strain of his muscles as he walked down the street. He had never knew the pleasure and luxury of what it meant to walk, to take a stroll outside. Paul comes across this man who was sitting Never used his feet, never knew the pleasure of walking. Now, Lystra, as I mentioned last week, is approximately 60 miles from Antioch. This is where the event occurs. There's no local synagogue. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, as you see, did not go to the local synagogue. They did not preach to the leaders there. Therefore, most of the ministry is what we might call open-air preaching. And if I could draw a parallel to the street preacher that I mentioned earlier, if there was some who would slap Paul and Barnabas across the face, there was probably some that lived there too. And they were in this open-air preaching dynamic. The Bible says that this paralytic man listened to Paul speak. Paul looked intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. So here's a man who is listening to Paul preach and not just hearing. There's a difference. He was listening intently. He was listening with the intent of moving on in faith in response to what Paul was proclaiming. And the apostle Paul, looking intently, knew this. He knew that this man was engaged with him. There is a faith in hearing the word of God, and we respond in that way. My friends, this is exactly how we respond to God's word. This is exactly the same way we respond to God's word. This way hasn't changed ever since God said. At the very beginning, the word of God says, and God said. When God speaks, what do we do? We listen. That has never changed. God said, and we listen, and we respond in faith. That has not changed through the ages. The Lord expects us to listen. And to hear with the intentions of moving on in faith. And Paul was preaching to anyone who would hear, who could recognize the Greek, the koine or common Greek that he was speaking. Preaching to anyone who could understand what he was saying. But then Paul says to the crippled man with a loud voice, as I mentioned earlier, stand up to your feet. And he sprung up and he began walking. So here's the miracle. Another miracle brought about by the stewards of the miracle, the stewards of the miraculous, the apostles. Here is a man who has crippled his whole life. And by the power of God's word, this man somehow grew muscle where there was no muscle. He grew enough muscle by the word of God that his muscles were strengthened To leap up at once and stand on his feet. Sometimes we diminish or overlook the miracle that we see in God's word by the hands of the stewards of those miracles, the apostles. 
The man didn't need to go to physical therapy. He didn't need to check in to some rehabilitation center to learn how to walk. He sprung up and walked. It was a miraculous work of the Lord that authenticated the preached word of God. And there are some ancient manuscripts that actually would translate and write what I just read in this way. I say to thee, in the name of the Lord Jesus, rise up and walk. Now, just remember this. Paul and the apostles are not acting in their own power. They're not saying, in the name of Paul or Barnabas, rise up and walk, but in the name of Jesus. And there is a similar episode that I mentioned in chapter 3. This similar event is through the apostles Peter and John in Acts 3, verses 2 through 10. Looking back to Acts chapter 3, there are these similarities between Paul and Peter's narrative. Both men looked at the crippled man and addressed him and said, stand up or get up. Both men leapt up in response to being healed. And in both cases, the apostles gave God the glory instead of claiming any notoriety or acclaim for themselves. In fact, I would be fearful of anyone who claims to do any work of God in their own power. And wouldn't you know it? The world is full of people who speak on behalf of God in order to make it big. In order to make a name for themselves or to gain some popularity. And in some times, in some ways, they actually say things that God never said. Do you not capture the weight of that judgment to say something that God never said in order to gain some popularity? I'm afraid one day, it's not something that we relish in or we enjoy talking about, but I'm afraid one day... These people will face the wrath of an almighty and righteous God. And you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, away from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. That's some scary words. They'll say, hey, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do this work in your name? Hey, didn't we start a soup kitchen in your name? And he will say, I never knew you. I want you to understand that a person today can grow a church in their own power. You might say, what? A charismatic person can come in and they can, they can crunch numbers and they can be charismatic and over the top and they can start programs and they can get people in the church. They can say all kinds of things to tickle your ears and fill these pews. And they can do all types of things to get people to come into the door in their own power. And they might even succeed for a little while. But it will never, ever sustain and the people will not grow in their walk with Jesus unless we give him praise and glory for all that is done in his name. See, we cannot hoard the glory that belongs only to Christ. We cannot accumulate the glory that only belongs to Christ. And I'm afraid that there are people in pulpits and churches today who attempt to take the glory from Jesus so they might look good in themselves. 
And if I had a word of caution, I would say, quit while you are ahead, pack your bags, and find another vocation. Even amongst our congregation, I would say, be very fearful of how we boast in things. I'm not saying that we are boastful in things, but be very careful that we don't teeter the line of being boastful in ourselves and that we always point to give glory to God because God will not share His glory with anyone else. See, Paul and Barnabas here, they preached Jesus and they lived as if He was Lord of all. And so the crippled man heard this message. He had faith and he was, and he was healed. So here's a, here's a man who was sitting somewhere in Lystra. Paul and Barnabas come in open air preaching. He had, this man had no ability to stand, no ability to walk on his own. No ability to stand and no ability to walk on his own. And before he had an encounter with Jesus on behalf of the apostles, he had no understanding of true healing. He had no true understanding of Isaiah 53 that said, by his stripes we are healed. Had no understanding that that meant his salvation, that he was truly healed by the stripes of Christ and his sacrifice, his vicarious death on the cross and his resurrection. That's the true depth of healing. The man had no understanding of this. And as I looked at this man crippled and laying there in Lystra, even with just the little information that we are given through Luke the Evangelist, I draw a conclusion and I think about my own spiritual journey. I think of how I couldn't stand on my own or walk in my own power. Much like this man was crippled with his legs, I was spiritually. I couldn't stand, I couldn't walk on my own, much less approach a perfectly righteous God. I was helpless in my spiritual crippledness. See, worse than crippled, I would take it a step further. I wasn't just crippled, I was spiritually dead. No spiritual life. And so is everyone else outside of salvation in, in Jesus alone. Unable to stand and walk in the light and truth of Jesus. We are like the crippled man, unable to approach God unless he call unto us. Much like the Lord used the apostles to preach and teach and lift up truth and to lift up the word of God, someone in my life took the time to share the gospel with me. I heard the gospel, responded to it as I was moved by the Spirit of God to respond to that word. And Christ saved me. And guess what? You came the same way. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. See, we did walk around. We did have the ability to walk in some regard. But our walking was in spiritual darkness. We walked in that darkness away from God and could not approach Christ in our own power. That is, until He called ourselves. In fact, Ephesians 2 says we were walking the course of this world following the prince and the power of the air, who is Satan, by the way, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And if we could put this in a modern-day vernacular, we were like the walking dead. Yeah, we were walking all right, but not to God. Now, here's the telling part. Some of you might be still in your sins this morning. 
and in that spiritual deadness. And Christ alone is the only one who can save you from your sinfulness and transform your life for his glory. And it is truly only Jesus who makes the lame walk and bring the spiritually dead to life. Amen. Second, in our life as followers of Christ, there are times when misplaced faith must be redirected. There are things that I believe now that I hold differently than I did 10, 15 years ago. By a more robust reading of Scripture and studying of Scripture, my Direction has changed, and many of you can say the same thing. I might think differently than I did 10, 15 years ago. And so I would say misplaced faith in things sometimes must be redirected. Sometimes the things that we believe in are off kilter, and they might be out of place. Some, sometimes there are people that we put our trust in who are not worthy of that trust. There have been men in ministry over the ages, who I looked up to, who had fallen in sexual immorality and sin. So faith must be redirected in some degree. There's a disruption in Lystra once this crippled man is healed. So let's see what happened from verse 11 through. The Bible tells us the crowd saw Paul and what they had done. In their eyes, they had healed this man. They lifted their voices in their own language and said, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes because Paul was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, they brought their oxen and garland and the gates. They were going to have a celebration. They were going to sacrifice to them, offer sacrifices with the crowd. They were going to worship Paul and worship Barnabas as Zeus and Hermes. See, the man had been healed and the people thought that Zeus and Hermes had come down to them and had healed this man. And you might say, well, how could they think such a far-fetched thing? And it's not so far-fetched to believe that since Zeus and the worship of Zeus was so prominent in Lystra and in in near Galatia. There have been places in Lystra where there have been inscriptions found giving honor to Zeus and Hermes together. So this is not far-fetched. It's not a shocker that they acted in this way and they spoke with their own language at that. That might explain Paul and Barnabas' late delay in addressing it. Paul and Barnabas could not understand the people at first and initially when they figured out what was happening, they reacted. And there, in, in fact, there is an ancient Lystrian um, theory or fable of how Zeus and Hermes had come down to the people at Lystra and had visited their homes. And they were disguised as ordinary men. And they would knock on the homes to see if they could gain entrance and see if the residents of those homes would in, invite them in and minister to them. Some homes turned these two men away and some homes invited them in. And the homes that were inviting to Zeus and Hermes were spared their wrath. But the ones who turned away Zeus and Hermes, those homes were burnt to the ground. 
Just so you realize, as a side note, these made-up gods are nothing like the God of the Bible. It shows compassion. Zeus and Hermes and the Greek pantheon show very humanistic characteristics. They lie, steal, cheat. But the God of the Bible is nothing like that. And considering this background, it makes perfect sense why they would act this way. Why they would think that Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes. That is, until Paul and Barnabas realized what was happening, they were going to sacrifice to them, thinking that they were these Greek gods. And what a perfect opportunity it was for the apostles to turn their attention to the God over all creation, which is exactly what they did. The apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it. They tore their garments. They rushed out into the crowd said, Men, why are you doing these things? We, we are men like you. We are, we are men of like nature with you. We bring good news. So that you turn from these vain things to a living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Turn from these things that have no breath in them. And how they respond at first is very Jewish, very Hebrew. They tore their garments in mourning and lament. They tore their garments in response to blasphemy. If you recall in the gospel accounts when Jesus was standing before the high priest and they ask if he is the son of the blessed, the Messiah, what did he respond? You say it, or I am. Claiming that he was indeed the son of the living, the son of the living God. But unlike the case with the Pharisees and Jesus, this actually is blasphemy. Paul being Paul, using every situation and every context to preach the gospel, to be all things to all men. And in this case, in this situation, he preached the truth. But what does he do? He goes back to creation. They were ordinary men called out by Jesus to preach the truth and to bring the good news of salvation. So Paul looks at these false gods. He identifies Zeus and Hermes as worthless, lifeless idols and vain things compared to a living God who made the heavens and the earth. They have no life in them, no breath of them. And we might say, well, how dare they worship some idol like Zeus or Hermes or an idol? And we do the same thing in our life. Not Zeus, we don't call it Hermes, we don't call it carved out gods or idols. But every day in our life we have a potential idol that is crouching at the door, calling us to itself. Things that we put before God, things that we put before Jesus in our everyday life. It might not look like Zeus, it might not look like Hermes, it might not look like some little trinket or some little idol that we've carved out of wood, but there are things in our life that we have erected that are potential idols and they're continually wooing us to itself. Because they are still in their sin, they are guilty of breaking the law of God by failing to worship the one true God and erecting idols not to mention the rest of the moral law of God, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and the law of God itself, which is ultimately consummated and completed in Christ. Paul draws their mind to the common grace offered to them. Paul is preaching this message with the intentions of pointing to the resurrection of Jesus. 
But we'll see by the time we get to verse 18, he's not given that, that chance in this episode. So what does he do? He points to God's grace. He says, in past generations, God allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. So even as the nations walked in their own ways, God had set Israel to be a light to the nations. God, Paul is going back. If you don't know where to start with sharing the gospel with someone, go back. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Go back. So he goes back and he points them to the one true God. Israel was to be a light to the nations and point the nations to the one true God. Sometimes they failed. Sometimes they were, uh, they were successful. And sometimes they were faithful in that witness. A lot of times they failed. But even though they failed, even though Israel failed over and again, there was always those who were faithful in their witness. My friends, there are always people throughout history and the history of history through the ages there will always be people who are faithful witnesses of what God is doing in that era. There will always be faithful witnesses to the work of Jesus. You see, in Romans 1 and verse 20, the Bible tells us of a faithful witness and that is the witness of God himself. As he says, the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen, so all people are without excuse. So not only did God give them a general revelation that you can look in the sky and see the handiwork of God, you can see the moon that has been hung, you can see the illuminaries lighting its way, you can breathe the air, you can see the trees, you can see God's handiwork in the cosmos, in the universe, in the fine-tuning of the universe. There is a general revelation, but then there is a special revelation about Himself. When the prophets come to town and said, Thus saith the Word of God, He is giving special revelation. When Paul and Barnabas stands in Lystra amongst the enemies of God and preaches Jesus, preaches creation, he is saying, thus saith the word of God. It is special revelation. He has shown them God's grace. He has shown them common grace when he didn't have to. He could have allowed their crops to dry up due to drought. He could have left them to starve in their own sinfulness. But God spared them for a day such as the day that was before them. I want you to think about that in your own life. God has given much common grace offered to you that it is undeniable. Think of your position before Jesus. B.C. My life B.C. Before Christ. Think of your life before Christ. Think of the many episodes in your life. Think of the many things in your life, the good things that you would consider, being fruitful in this area, being successful in this area, being able to thrive in life in this area in some way, and we attribute that to God's common grace. And so we give thanks because of that, God, that grace given to us by God Almighty. It is undeniable. There was a time when you were not in Jesus, and you may not be in Christ today, and yet God has shown you His common grace 
And you need to give him thanks for that today. That you get to sit here today and listen to Jesus preached. Listen to the word preached. Give him grace. We talk about Thanksgiving. We talk about a season of Thanksgiving. We talk about being thankful to God. Thank God for his common grace that he didn't wipe me out before I knew about his sovereign grace. Thank him for his saving grace. Somebody thank God for his saving grace. But even in Paul and Barnabas preaching, it wasn't connecting as it did with Antioch. In the previous cities where people believed and God was adding to the church daily, even though the Bible says later on that there were disciples in that city, in Lystra, we do not see that there was a bountiful seed as of yet in Lystra. Because in verse 18 it says, even in light of what Paul was preaching about God's grace, even with these words that Paul was sharing at the beginning, no doubt preaching Jesus, now going through common grace and biblical theology and biblical history, these words that he shared were scarcely restrained and the people offered sacrifice to them anyway. Now maybe there was a language barrier Maybe they were just not receptive. And it goes to show you that everyone will not be receptive to the good news. And this is a truth I think that we're accustomed to in our culture. But you know what? We are still called to be faithful. We are still called to be faithful and not famous. Paul and Barnabas had the opportunity, could have let the gifts lavish upon them. They were faithful to Jesus. We are called to be faithful and not famous. Paul and Barnabas didn't get to present Jesus in the fullness as they did in Antioch and Iconium before they were interrupted. And if anything should dismantle a rock star pastor mentality, this this famous mentality, we want to be famous or well-known, if anything would dismantle This way of thinking in the church today, it should be this episode and the words offered by the Apostle Paul. What are you doing? Men, what are you doing? We are men just like you. Imagine what the television preacher personality would do if they were met with this type of reception. Think about the prosperity gospel preachers and the proponents of the prosperity gospel. Think about what they would do when met with this type of reception and offering sacrifices to them and accolades to them. First, first, they probably would never end up in a place like Lystra because of, you know, the Great Commission and everything. The Great Commission probably is not a priority to them. For the sake of the point, imagine if a, a Benny Hinn or maybe even a Stephen Furtick was in this situation like Paul and Barnabas. You may not, you may say, well, Pastor, why are you name dropping? But imagine if they were in this situation, or folks like this, a prosperity gospel preacher. Imagine if they were in this situation. I don't know, I can't tell exactly, but I would imagine they were relishing the fact that these people were putting them up on a pedestal in some way. They might even start passing out coloring pages with their faces on it. I would rather for me and you, Piney Grove Baptist Church, I'm talking to you. I would rather for me and you to be small and insignificant in the world 
and to be faithful to Jesus than to be famous and boastful in an outright disobedience and own a dealership of deceit. I would rather be small and unknown and be faithful than to be famous and boastful in an outright disobedience. Paul and Barnabas was rejected by the people of Lystra and almost stoned to death. But there are some faithful disciples that we will see in the next episode. I'm thankful for faithful men. I'm thankful for faithful, faithful women who are steadfast in lift, lifting up Jesus. My friends, today we meet, we stand on We stand upon the shoulders of faithful men and women through the ages. We don't stand here in our own power. I'm not telling you something this morning that hasn't probably been preached a thousand times over somewhere else. In fact, if I preach to you anything new, and you might say, that's a new thought. I got a fresh new revelation. Some red flags ought to raise because you can go in any library, any new thought that one might have, You can go to a library and probably find that thought somewhere through history. I'm not preaching anything that is new and improved to you today. We stand on the shoulders of faithful men and women throughout church history. Most importantly, we stand on the firm foundation of Christ Jesus our Lord. Stephen Addison, in a work entitled, What Jesus Started... Addison said these reassuring words. He said the Christian movement could not have spread rapidly if it was relied solely on a small group of professionals to share the gospel. Evangelists aren't professionals. Pastors aren't professionals. Missionaries aren't professionals. The apostles and other Christian workers set the example and equipped ordinary believers to spread the good news wherever they lived and Wherever they went, the message was met with faith, like the crippled man. You see, what we find in the first three verses of this verse is that their unbelief and their idolatry somehow overshadowed that there was a man sitting there and was listening and responded to the apostles in faith. When the message is met with faith, Christianity quickly become an insider movement as the new converse, converts gossiped the gospel. So again, I'm thankful for a serving church. I'm thankful for faithful people who stand upon the word. And if there was one area of encouragement I would offer you today in closing, it would be this. I would hunger for us and desire for us to be an evangelistic church evangelistic to our community and to our neighbors. You see, we are ordinary people exclaiming an extraordinary gospel. And that task is daunting, I know, because the gospel is so extraordinary, so spectacular, it's so sensational. We don't have to make the gospel any more sensational than what it is. So yes, I know that the task is a daunting task to to share such an extraordinary gospel because we want to get it right. And even though Paul and Barnabas were apostles called by Jesus, there was nothing over the top. There was nothing 
extraordinary about them. Just they were called by Jesus. And why is that? Why are they not over the top? And why are they not considered extraordinary? It's because God is going to get the glory. And he will not share the glory with anyone. God will get the glory. Not Paul. Not Barnabas. Not a street preacher. Not Not a false teacher. Not Zeus. Not Hermes. Nobody's going to get the glory but the Lord alone. But God alone. So, with that being said, let's, you and I, be faithful witnesses for Jesus. And for those people who are faithful witnesses week after week, day after day, moment after moment, let's thank God for them too. Amen? Let's pray. (laughs) 